a girl, both aged 16, have been found guilty of the murder of a trans teenager in Cheshire. 16 was stabbed with a hunting knife 28 times in her head, neck, chest and back in linear. The jury took just four hours and 40 minutes before it came back a few minutes ago and found both the defendants guilty. The girl who killed Brianna was fascinated by her. The boy referred to her as it. In the last few minutes here at Manchester Crown Court on a wet and blustery day, two high school pupils have been found guilty of murdering 16-year-old Brianna Jai. The jury of seven men and five women took under five hours to decide that the boy and girl, so young we can't tell you who they are, killed Brianna. And even though it's impossible to know for sure if they both wielded the knife, the jury found them both to be jointly responsible. There were gasps from Brianna's family in the public gallery and the parents of both defendants broke down in tears as the foreman delivered the guilty verdicts. The jury found that girl X and boy Y had spent weeks planning Brianna's murder talking in forensic detail over WhatsApp and Snapchat about exactly how they would lure her to the park and stab her to death under the pretense of friendship. Brianna was just 16 and she was transgender. Her popularity on social media due to her funny TikTok videos where she showed off new outfits and which were followed by thousands of people hid the fact that she was actually an anxious child. She spent a lot of time in her bedroom and found socialising difficult. So on February the 11th this year, when she'd been persuaded to go out to the park, to hang out and maybe have some drugs with her new friends, she had no inkling of what was about to happen to her. Images from her camera doorbell captured Brianna leaving the house that day to catch the bus to Culchuth. She was dressed in a distinctive short tartan skirt, long white socks and a fluffy white jacket. And as she plucked up the courage to leave the house that day, something her mum, Esther, was so proud of, she couldn't have known this was not real friendship, but a ploy to play out a twisted fantasy dreamt up by a teenage girl obsessed with death, torture and killers, and a teenage boy willing to play along. I'm Caroline Cheatham. And I'm Liz Hull. And we're here today to bring you exactly what's happened in court, to examine how intelligent, articulate, well-loved children from ordinary happy families became cold-blooded killers. This is what Detective Chief Superintendent Nigel Parr from Cheshire Police said immediately after the verdict. This was a senseless murder. Brianna was a teenager whose whole life was ahead of her. She went out on that Saturday thinking she was going to meet a friend. She was betrayed. I would like to thank the family of Brianna for finding the courage to come to court and hear what happened to her. They have listened to some dreadful and shocking details of the case. The loss of a child is always devastating and so there are no words to describe how they are feeling. I would also like to thank the community of Colchith. The impact on this small community has been devastating. For Brianna's family, her heartfelt thoughts of everyone connected with the Cheshire Constabulary are with them. Here's what Brianna's dad said here on the court steps after the verdict. When she was little, I remember the faces she would pull to make me laugh. A cheeky giggle, funny dances are engraved in my memory. 
I knew she was going to be a star and the amount of support she received from the followers on TikTok proved this. She shared her TikTok videos with me all the time and I was so proud of what she could do. I look into her eyes and they shine back at me and I know she was and I know she was a beautiful girl to be proud of. It's difficult to comprehend how some people can do these vile things in the world. My heart bleeds every day for Brianna and this will never go away. And the amount of guilt I can and the amount of guilt I have can sometimes be unbearable. But I will ensure her memory lives on in my thoughts and dreams. I also want to express my gratitude to PC Andrew Chadwick and the paramedics who tried to all they could to try and save my daughter. We spoke a few days before she was taken from me and we were arranging to meet each other. It breaks me every day to know <laughs> I'll never get that chance again. I wish, it, I wish I had been there to protect her. That's something I must live with. The suffering from this horrific incident should never happen and I hope no other family ever experienced the torture this can bring. Welcome to episode nine, The Verdict. Just a few weeks ago here in Manchester, two children who were aged just 15 when Brianna died went on trial for her murder. This was not an opportunistic spur-of-the-moment crime. This was a premeditated, brutal execution planned in the minds of two young killers down to the finest detail. In reality, their naivety and arrogance was their undoing. They murdered Brianna in broad daylight in a busy park on a Saturday afternoon. They were seen not only bending over her body, but also running away. The minutes before the attack, as they met Brianna off the bus and escorted her to the park, were also captured on CCTV. So it wasn't surprising then that within a few hours they were identified. Police wearing body armour and balaclavas arrived at their homes in separate suburbs on the outskirts of Warrington and both were handcuffed outside their bedroom doors. What was surprising was what was found during those arrests, primarily on their mobiles. And like most teenagers, their lives were lived on their phones. But the messages and searches that they'd done revealed in horrifying detail a fascination with torture and death, which drove a compulsion to kill. Girl X freely admitted to the jury that she had developed an interest in dark materials when she was around 14. Not only did she have a fascination with serial killers, people like Harold Shipman and Richard Ramirez appeared to be her heroes. She also watched movies like Sweeney Todd on repeat, obsessed with the sharpness of his blade as he slit people's throats in the barber's chair. But then this went even further. She started to watch videos of people being tortured and killed in red rooms. For those of you like Liz and I who didn't know what a red room is, it's a site accessed on the dark web which features images and footage of torture. They're called red rooms because there's so much blood. She shared her fascination with Boy Y, sharing videos and talking openly over WhatsApp and Snapchat about killing other children at school because she thought he shared her fascination. Normal teenage disagreements resulted in a kill list. The names of people Girl X said deserved to die because they'd annoyed her or been mean to her boyfriend. So what turned these two teenagers from apparently normal, happy families into killers? 
In many other cases we've covered, we'd often be able to tell you something now about their fractured childhood, their dysfunctional upbringing, the fact these children were not loved or cared for. We might be able to pinpoint something which we could say was a trigger or a moment or a succession of awful experiences which might explain not this crime because nothing can explain this crime but why their lives went in such a dark direction but we can't find anything and the jury didn't hear of anything either what we know today is these children are frighteningly ordinary so they're now 16 years old caroline they were only 15 when they committed this crime in fact they're so young that we still can't tell you their names in the next few days the judge mrs justice yip may well decide to lift the reporting restrictions that are keeping their identities a secret. But for today, we're still going to refer to them as Girl X and Boy Y. And they're from seemingly stable homes. Girl X's parents have been together for decades and they've got four children together. Her mum and dad both have professional jobs. Now we know from chatting to people on the same really neat and tidy estate that the family were liked and photos on social media show Girl X on days out with her family and grandparents. In short, her life appeared to be entirely normal, even mundane. Yet there were some issues at school and some people told us that she struggled to make friends, but she'd never been in trouble with the police before she decided to kill Brianna. And we know that since the killing, she's been diagnosed with autistic traits and ADHD, but she's also clever and articulate. During the trial, we heard that she was helping Boy Y write text messages to a girl he was infatuated with because he was too shy to ask her out on a date himself. Girl X also jokingly called Boy Y Tesco John Wick because she decided he was a bit like Keanu Reeves in the films, but perhaps a little less classy like a low-budget version. Boy Y2 is clever, really clever. He's also been diagnosed with autism and is high-functioning. Girl X said she thought he was a genius, and we know that since being in secure accommodation since his arrest, he's passed GCSEs, and he's now teaching himself science, maths and English at A-level. He once had an ambition to go to university to study microbiology, and in fact... Liz, he was so concerned about doing well in his exams that when Girl X was asking him to help her to kill Brianna, he refused to do it on a school night because he wanted to revise. We're going to remind you about a few messages that were sent between them on the evening of January the 28th. Now, that's the day Brianna cried off meeting them both in Linear Park, three weeks before she was murdered on February the 11th. Let's kill Brianna tomorrow, 6pm. If I can, then yes. Please, come out tomorrow between 6 and 8. It's a school day. I'll be eating around 7pm. Please, I want it done ASAP. Can't. It's a school night. For many people, Liz, listening to that exchange... I think they're going to think it's odd that Boy Y doesn't appear to be worried about the plan to kill Brianna. He seems far more concerned that it might be happening on a school night. And we know even at that time, Girl X teased him about being possibly autistic. And we also know that his own brother thought he had it. And since his arrest, we do know now that he has been formally diagnosed with autism. 
And one of the things we wanted to address in the episode, because we've had a lot of questions about it, is how Boy Y gave evidence in court. Now, we know when he was initially arrested and interviewed, he spoke to the police, gave quite helpful and full answers initially. Then he became no comment in his interviews when he found out the extent of the evidence against him, the sort of forensic evidence certainly against him. But it was after he was charged that he stopped speaking altogether and the court has been told that he now has what's known as selective mutism. So he now only speaks to his mum. Yeah, so this was quite unusual. Um, It meant that during the trial we saw something that certainly I've never witnessed before in that he was allowed to give evidence without speaking directly to the jury. So when he was asked to enter a plea... Um, before the trial began, he pointed to a not guilty sign. And then when he gave his evidence, he typed up his answers. And these were then read to the jury by the intermediary sat next to him. And one of the things we noticed throughout was just how articulate he was. You know, his typed answers were perfectly constructed. Um, His sentences sophisticated along with his vocabulary you know, his spelling was accurate, as was his grammar. Now, like Girl X's parents, Boy Y's parents also have professional jobs and they attended the trial every day. Now, he lived with them, his brother and sister in Lee, which is near Wigan, and he was also a talented kickboxer and we heard that during the trial. Maybe a bit tellingly, though, like Girl X, he struggled to make friends and he was shy. By his own admission, in fact, he said he was socially awkward. And although they had known each other since they were 11, Boy Y and Girl X's friendship was mainly an online friendship, uh, often involved her coaching him on how to message and speak to other girls, including one that we refer to as Girl A in this trial. So Girl X agreed to help him send messages to Girl A, who he fancied. And in return, she asked for his help killing other people at school. People she openly boasted she wanted to get rid of. So, Caroline, we've heard a lot during this trial about a kill list. Now, this was a list which Girl X had drawn up. And on this list were people she wanted to kill, to get rid of. Um, We've spoken to some former classmates who've told us it was common knowledge that she'd had this kill list from year eight, so around the age of 14. It's not known if any teachers knew of this list or, you know, whether it would have been taken seriously if they, they had heard of it or did know about it. I mean, some of the petty disagreements she was having with other teenagers are disagreements that take place in every playground and every lunch hall at schools up and down the country. But for Girl X, it seemed that the slightest irritation could mean that these children ended up on her list. Boy C, who we heard about, was on the list because he spammed her boyfriend with death threats. She put Boy S on the list because he showed her boyfriend some offensive videos. Boy E was disliked by both of them because he was, in their words, a nonce. And Boy R was on the list because he was gay. And whatever these petty reasons... All of these four children on this list must now consider themselves really lucky today that they didn't come into her orbit like Brianna did. And that's the irony, really, that Gerlach started out being utterly enthralled by Brianna. She was intrigued by her, even attracted to her at times, it seemed. 
And like so many teenagers, they made friends over makeup initially. One admired the eyeliner of the other, and that was it. But very, very soon after, that seemed to change. And we might never know what turned girl X's infatuation, this fascination with Brianna, into a desire to kill her. But what we do know from her social media profile is the kind of content that she was consuming from a very young age portrayed incredible levels of violence. She spent much of the lockdown and the pandemic binging on horror films and slasher movies. There's a post on her Instagram account from when she's about 13 in May 2020, which talks about how she's running out of horror films to watch and because she's been watching so much on Netflix. And she told the jury that her favourite film was Sweeney Todd and she loved this film so much that she'd watched it, she said, about 9,000 times. Now, whether that was an exaggeration or not, it's likely it was, but this was also the film that she chose to watch the night before she helped to kill Brianna. Now, significantly by August 2022, these films weren't enough to satisfy her appetite for murder, blood and gore. They were frankly a bit too mainstream because we know that over the summer holiday, she downloaded a special router which allowed her to start viewing live torture and murder online on the dark web. Now, this router is known as Tor, T-O-R. That stands for the onion router. And it's called an onion router because it's got so many layers that users are anonymised. Alan Woodward is a professor in computer science at the University of Surrey. Thankfully, he can walk us through how this works. Let's suppose you want to visit a website, which is basically sending a request to a website. But you don't want anybody to know who you are. There are something like 5,000 Tor nodes out there, as they're called, um, and they're all run by volunteers. So you've no idea who these people are. And when you say, I want to go to address X, you basically write it down on a postcard, but you put it in the first envelope. It then randomly enters the network, the Tor network, and gets put inside another envelope and passed to the next person or the next node, and so on and so on and so forth, all in these little layered envelopes, um, all of which are secured cryptographically, and it pops out and it knows where to go. You can only get to certain websites using this process where it bounces around in the Tor network and pops out called .onion sites. Um, so effectively, you're visiting this website completely anonymously. Nobody can trace back who you are. There's a sort of a, um, a similar way of running the websites as well. So nobody knows who's running these websites. They're completely anonymous. You don't know where they're physically located, but they're all dot onion sites. So a teenager could do it within a couple of minutes. We'll pause there for a quick break. So we know that from August 2022 onwards, Girl X was viewing this extremely dark material online. Three months later, she told Boy Y in a message that she would kill a boy who was getting too close to Girl A, this classmate that he fancied. Crucially, this was around the same time that she met Brianna. And a month later in December, Girl X told Boy Y that she'd become obsessed with Brianna. In one of the messages she told him, she has a dick lol. 
Boy Y responded, Is it a femboy or a tranny? He also repeatedly referred to Brianna in messages as it, instead of using a correct pronoun. And one of the key issues at the time of Brianna's death and leading up to the trial was whether Brianna was actually killed because she was trans. In other words, was her murder a hate crime? Detective Chief Superintendent Mike Evans, who's head of crime at Cheshire Police, talked to us about this. So within an hour or so of um, Brianna's body being found, we established who she was. Um, we established pretty quickly that she was transgender. Um, so from a, a senior detective point of view, our SIOs are, are thinking around potential hypothesis. Is it a sexually motivated attack? Is it a transgender attack? You know, is it a random attack? So they have that open mind. Um, what we didn't do at any point was brand it as something and, and go off on a tangent because the danger with that is it, it leads you looking for clues in the wrong places, so to speak. Um, so the investigation team just followed the evidence. That evidence obviously took us to Girl X and Boy Y. And then it was when we got those messages back, as you can see, um, in a strange way, Girl X is quite obsessed with Brianna, mm -hmm. um, almost attracted to her, I think, was some of the suggestion. She was intrigued, wasn't she? She really was intrigued, yes. Um, boy, why, though, I agree with you, there's some real dehumanising, uh, transphobic comments in there, which I think just show the level of individual he was. I just wondered whether it, it added to the viciousness of the attack, actually, because this was a really ferocious Sustained attack. Sustained and frenzied attack, really. Yeah. Is there any thought that... It was so frenzied and so ferocious because of his anti-trans views. Again, I don't think we'll ever know the actual answer to that unless he decides to tell us. Um, for me, personally, I think whoever they'd have attacked that day, they'd have shown that level of contempt towards um, and sort of disrespect when, when you read the messages in relation to others. Um, there's nothing that suggests it was a worse attack because Brianna was transgender. So as we heard there from Mike Evans, the police accept there was a hate element to this crime, but they don't believe Brianna was necessarily targeted because she was trans. Instead, it seems her trans status made her vulnerable. She was an anxious child. She didn't like going out. In fact, when she was on the bus that day to Culturth to meet Girl X and Boy Y, she told her mum in a message that she was scared. Tragically, the message her mum sent back to say how proud she was of her for going out that day was never even read by Brianna. And as Mike Evans said, if it hadn't been Brianna, it would likely have been someone else, maybe one of the boys on that kill list. Such was their compulsion to kill. So remember, just a few weeks before this, they tried to hatch a plan to kill Boy E. And what had he done to deserve this? Well... Boy Y had described him as a nonce. He said he wanted to see Boy E beaten to death or to commit suicide. And they swapped terrible messages about buying a rope to use as a noose to make his death look like suicide. Girl X then set up a fake Instagram account to try and strike up a friendship with Boy E, but he refused to take the bait and in fact blocked her. So after that failed attempt in January this year, they turned their attention to Brianna instead. And on the 23rd of January, Brianna was sick. Police now believe this was Girl X's first attempt to kill her by poisoning her with ibuprofen. By this point, as we know, not only was Girl X watching violent murder and torture on the dark web, she'd also started sharing some of that material with Boy Y. And over the Christmas holidays, he'd been on a ski trip abroad with his family where his dad had bought him a large hunting knife as a souvenir. So they had the desire to kill, they had the weapon and they knew who their victim was going to be. 
A few days later, on January the 28th, they arranged to meet Brianna in the park. And there is some suggestion that Boy Y had the knife on him that day, but Brianna cancelled at the last minute to go to a family meal, which Girl X said had left her fucking pissed. In fact, she was so desperate for Brianna to die by now that this was the message she sent to Boy Y. I don't want to wait. I want it done really badly. I just want to see her die ASAP. I want to see the pure horror on her face and hear her scream in pain. A few days later, she sent him a picture of the handwritten murder plan, which was later found by the police when they searched her bedroom. It was headed Saturday the 11th of February 2023. Victim, Brianna Jai. And here's what it said. Meet Boy Y at Wooden Post, 1pm. Walk down to library, bus stop. Wait until Brianna gets off bus, then the three of us walk to Linear Park. Go to the pipe, tunnel area. I say code word to Boy Y. He stabs her in the back as I stab her in the stomach. Boy Y drags the body into the area. We both cover up the area with vlogs, etc. And that was the plan they carried out, almost to the letter. As Brianna got ready at home to go to the park, to hang out, maybe take some drugs with her new friend, Girl X and Boy Y met up. Boy Y's mum actually dropped him off, completely oblivious to what her son was about to do. The two then went to the shop and bought snacks, bottles of fizzy drinks and Kinder chocolate bars, like any normal afternoon. The CCTV, which shows them meeting Brianna off the bus, seems really chilling now. So far, we've not been able to show you this because it might identify the two defendants, but it shows Girl X meeting Brianna as she gets off the bus while Boy Y hangs back, almost hiding around the corner. Then the three of them walk to Linear Park, Brianna really, really striking in those white knee-length socks that she was wearing, the fluffy white jacket, and for everyone that saw them that passed them by that day, it must have seemed like such a normal everyday occurrence, three teenagers just going to the park to hang out. We may never know exactly who inflicted the first of the 28 stab wounds as Girl X and Boy Y blamed each other throughout the trial, but Brianna never stood a chance that day. Some of the wounds cut down to the bone. Such was the ferocity of the attack. But we know from the messages and the murder plan that she wrote that Girl X wanted to stab Brianna at least once for fun. And she talked about keeping her body parts as souvenirs. And when she gave evidence to the jury in court, Girl X was very, very frank about the fact that she liked the idea of killing someone and having power over them. Now, Dr Alison Blanchard has been following the case and she told us Girl X demonstrated callous and unemotional traits, classic signs of a psychopath. So we don't talk about psychopathic children for the obvious reason that it's not good to label children as being psychopathic. And also there is this notion of the opportunity for rehabilitation. But when we look at psychopathic traits in children, we call them callous unemotional traits. They have um, kind of hypo arousal to situations and stimuli that would otherwise make people you know, upset or frightened. So they just don't experience fear in the way that we do or you know seeing another child in distress they don't respond to it in the same way they don't feel it so we can contextualize that in terms of empathy so there's a deficit in empathic responding so instead of going oh gosh I've upset that child or I've upset my parents because I've upset that child they just don't feel it and because of that 
that leads to a situation where it's difficult to um, develop a moral conscience because at no point do you have those kind of things that are inhibiting your behaviour. Does that explain why she's able to watch these horror films and eventually kind of real life torture and murder on the dark web that we know she was watching for at least six months before Brianna was killed? The normal, in inverted commas, person to see something as horrific as whatever is shown on these websites actually her response to it wouldn't be the same necessarily. She wouldn't be experiencing Mm. it in the same way that most other people experience it. In the end, Liz, it didn't matter who wielded the knife that day, who struck the first blow, if they even took it in turns to inflict the awful injuries that Brianna suffered, because the jury decided both were jointly responsible. The murder was a joint enterprise, both equally to blame for their part in this execution. Joint enterprise is quite a controversial arm of the law, Liz, because often it results in someone being convicted of murder who didn't necessarily inflict the fatal blow or wound. Yeah, that's right. It's a law that's largely used in trials involving gang stabbings or beatings, When the prosecution say all members of the gang were present and each knew one of them had gone equipped with a weapon or to cause the victim serious harm. And it's not often used in cases like this where the murder is so meticulously planned. It's unusual, but it's not completely unique. Um, I first probably came across this in another terrible case, again in Warrington, actually, um, some years ago around about 2007, when a man called Gary Newlove was kicked and beaten to death by a gang of teenagers on his own driveway. Um, Three of them were convicted, again, all teenagers, under joint enterprise legislation of Mr Newlove's murder. Um, Two others were actually cleared. But um, the jury were never asked to determine exactly who landed the fatal blow that actually um, resulted in Mr Newlove's death. But three of them went to prison for his murder. Back to this case, we know that Boyex didn't even know Brianna. In fact, he'd never even met her until the day that he killed her. We also know that Girl X lured her to her death, pretending to be her friend, promising her drugs and friendship to get her to the park that day. We know the plan was masterminded by Girl X, but the forensic evidence undoubtedly shows Boy Y more than played his part. Dr Blanchard told us it was clear to her that Girl X and Boy Y needed each other. I mean, it's such a rare event what we're talking about. I mean, thank goodness. You know, there's just a multitude of factors that are interacting and configuring in a way such that this this is the end point of that situation. They could share this very kind of nuanced, particularly socially unacceptable interest. And it was kind of normalised in that respect. I mean, it sounds... Difficult to say somebody or a child would manipulate somebody else to that extent. But there are, you know, very strong elements of immaturity and naivety in the sense that they've been talking about it as if it's just going down to the shop. I think they needed each other or she definitely needed an accomplice in inverted commas to make what she wanted to happen. After the crime, their immaturity, naivety or maybe just their arrogance made them think they'd be able to get away with it running away from the scene in broad daylight, using their own saliva to rub away Brianna's blood from their faces and their hands, deleting Snapchats 
and washing the knife, pushing Brianna's phone down a drain. Galex even told Boywai not to worry about being caught because the police were shite. So she went home and was so seemingly unconcerned about what they'd done, she started searching online for flared trousers to buy. Meanwhile, Boy Y was searching for how to cope with anxiety. The following morning, in an attempt to cover her tracks, Girl X sent Brianna a Snapchat asking, Girl, is everything okay? Knowing full well she was already dead. Then, after the news broke of Brianna's death, she joined thousands of others and posted a photograph and this tribute online. Brianna was one of the best people I have ever met. She's such an amazing friend. It is fucking sickening what got done to her. But she was wrong about the police and that they wouldn't be caught. It was just a matter of hours before officers wearing balaclavas and stab vests charged up the stairs of their homes and arrested them both at their bedroom doors. Their mobile phones were seized and that's when their plan started to unravel. Mike Evans told us they left a trail. As we sit here today in The Convicted, and it looks like a a relatively straightforward three-week trial with the salient points, you know, you go back nine months and that was painstaking day by day. Um, The text messages we didn't get till several days into the investigation. So um, one of the first things very early on was our family liaison officers, which is what we do whenever we have a murder is deploy family liaison officers to support the family, but also to act as evidence gatherers. That gave us Girl X's name or a first name at least, which then allowed us to identify her through local education authority, which then allowed us, led us on to Boy Y. Um, and then through the swift action around them, that then gave us evidence to the clothing and the phone and everything else. You mentioned 11,000 pages of these messages that you, you sort of came across a few days after. I wonder what the reaction is when you start to see what they were saying to each other in the sort of plan and just that level of viciousness really and in terms of without those messages without you talked about them being arrogant um there's a bit of naivety as well isn't there they're really because they're young whether they're intelligent but they're naive they basically left a trail didn't they yes they did um and that trail was instrumental in um dismantling their defense so um i don't think you can plan for something for so long and then turn around and say you didn't know it was going to happen to the detail that you know bring a knife with you, which knife are you bringing? Is it sharp enough to cut someone? And then to turn around and say it was all fantasy um, has probably been their undoing. Before we finish this verdict episode, we need to remember the schoolgirl at the heart of this crime. A courageous, funny, loved teenager who often felt anxious and isolated in public, but like so many teenage girls, loved her makeup, her clothes and TikTok. She'd got thousands and thousands of followers online and after her death, so many people paid tribute to her. Some of them, especially other trans teenagers, talked of how they spoke to her regularly and how she shared advice on what it was like to be transgender and how to cope with the mental health challenges that it created. That was a part of her life that we didn't really know about until after her death, wasn't it? That she was a sounding board for lots of people online who felt like she did. And it's fair to say that 
Um, her death did send shockwaves through that trans community online. I mean, this is something her mum has now tried to continue. Her mum, Esther, who again has been at this trial throughout, she has become a real campaigner in this area. She has said openly that Brianna was struggling with mental health at times. Um, and now she's set up a campaign for mindfulness to be included on the national curriculum for schools and for school staff to get better training in mental health to help teenagers like her daughter. This is what she said following today's verdicts on the court steps. Brianna was larger than life. She was funny, witty and fearless. We miss Brianna so much and our house feels empty without her laughter. To know how scared my usually fearless child must have been when she was alone in that park with someone that she called her friend will haunt me forever. Prior to the trial, I had moments where I felt sorry for the defendants because they had ruined their own lives as well as ours. But now knowing the true nature and seeing neither display an ounce of remorse for what they have done to Brianna, I have lost all sympathy that I may have previously had for them. And I am glad that they will spend many years in prison and away from society. Thank you to all of those who gave evidence, with special thanks to the couple who found Brianna and PC Chadwick, the first officer on the scene. I'm so grateful that in the last moments of her life, she had the concern and kindness from you all. And I undoubtedly know that you did all you could do to help my precious child. Lastly, please have some empathy and compassion for the families of the young people convicted of this horrific crime. They too have lost a child and they must live the rest of their lives knowing what their child has done. My family and I request some healing space for the next few weeks. However, I will be back at the end of January to continue my campaigning for better mental health support for young people and their families. Thank you. So that's it for today. In the meantime, you can follow us on X at The Trial Podcast and contact us, thetrial at mailmetromedia.co.uk. You can leave a comment on Spotify or even send us a voice note on WhatsApp on 07796 657 512. Start your message with the word trial. See you then.